from the 7.30 The Game studios in Uptown Charlotte. Welcome to the second Yellow Soccer Show. 7.30 The Game, your place for all things Charlotte. Now the host, here's Jason Bailey and Brad Barnett. Hello from the ESPN 7.30 The Game studios in Uptown Charlotte. Welcome to the second Yellow Soccer Show. I am Brad Barnett, that is Jason Bailey, and we are back after a brief seven-month sabbatical. Took some time off to reevaluate and figure out what the show could be and then formulate a game plan to provide high-quality interviews, unapologetic analysis, and mostly unbiased opinions that affect all of the Charlotte soccer community and, more importantly, you, the fan. Uh, we expect to hear from coaches, players, front office staff of all Charlotte-area teams ranging from the USL to the NWSL to youth clubs. And we are very fortunate because it matched our, our schedules lined up here, but we... Our first guest of 2019 is from the newest league in U.S. soccer, the National Independent Soccer Association, or NISA, as I have been told that is the correct way to say it. We have with us commissioner and president of the league, Mr. Bob Watkins. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm uh, dry. <laughs> yeah, a lot of rain in this city for some and reason. It seems to be unusual. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I haven't seen that round, mythical sphere of fire in the sky in a long time, but... Uh, before we jump into the interview, first off, thank you for all the listener questions. Um, we're going to try to weave them into the discussion here. Um, but first off, Bob, what brought you out here to Charlotte? Because you're originally from San Diego, so why are you here joining well, us? Well, I still am from San Diego. I'm visiting. We're having our first uh, um, board meeting, if you will, of the owners of the new soccer league. And one of the owners here, uh, Chris Graham and uh, Casey Carr, uh, are here in Charlotte. We thought we would come here and have our first meeting here. Very nice. Very nice. Um, that's going to be, those first two names are going to be a nice little name drop for uh, all the Charlotte fans because it's been uh, widely speculated who was the initial, or who was who were the actual um, uh, owners of the second. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but there was a first bid here in Charlotte um, with uh, Nisa back when Peter was running the, the league. And uh, as that kind of faded away, this new group, popped in and there was all the secrecy around it. So those first two name drops are going to make this actually people are probably going to tune out after hearing those two names because now they've got all the information they need. So we're <laughs> going to see if we can't get some more content. So um, just to jump right into it right here and Jason, feel free to jump in whenever you want. But um, Nisa's website updated this week, actually either yesterday mm -hmm. or two days ago, yep. now show eight teams. And uh, before jumping into discussing each and one of those teams, one common thread that we've actually seen uh, amongst fans discussing me says the lack of social media presence. Can you touch on that as to what their preferred presence is and what they're trying to do? Now, uh, when you're asking the question, you mean Nisa's lack of social media presence or soccer in general? Nisa, soccer, if you uh, jump on Charlotte Twitter while you're here, you'll see quite a bit <laughs> of uh, right. enough of that. So mainly Nisa's in particular. Right. We've, uh, this has not been a purposeful um, ignorance uh, or ignoring the uh, social media However, our focus has been getting sanctioned by U.S. soccer. So we spent every waking moment for the last uh, year and a half uh, putting together our plan, getting the clubs around the country organized uh, to the place where we can actually uh, go to U.S. soccer and get that sanctioning, which happened three weeks ago yesterday, if I recall. And so we're relatively new, like a newly hatched bird. Now we're starting to move out a little bit. We wanted to make sure that we had everything organized to get the sanctioning because if we didn't get sanctioning, social media didn't matter. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And one of my questions about sanctioning is um, when you applied, you had to have the eight teams originally for Division Three. 
Did you also have to specify the location they're going to play, or is it more general, like you have a couple options? No, it's very specific. The uh, What a lot of people don't know, and within U.S. soccer, they have rules and regulations, which most federations do, and they have what they call professional league standards. And those, that goes from everything from uh, Major League Soccer through uh, USL Division Two, the old NASL, and, uh, and Division Three. They all have standards of which you have to comply to, and it's a very rigorous process. Um, you have to have a location. You have to have owners. You have to have uh, the ability to show a business plan that would, uh, would make sure that you have sustainability as an organization. And, and the clubs individually have to have the same business plans. Then they have to go through an interview process to be reviewed by U.S. Soccer. They send out a couple of representatives. They walk your field. They measure your field. They look at everything that you possibly can think of. If you went to a bank loan, you probably have more scrutiny by U.S. Soccer than you do for a bank. But, you know, it's a worthwhile process to go through because you really get to understand what you have as an asset, as a, when I say an asset, a club. And um, it, it's, it's, it's a good process to go through. Now, how did you get involved with NISA? Just in general, just kind of a background. Um, two and a half years ago, I was sitting in my office in San Diego, and I got a call from a friend of mine from um, Buffalo, New York, and he said, I got these two French guys in my office. Um, they're soccer guys, and they would like to come to San Diego to see if they could start an MLS franchise. Well, they, he said, would you meet with them? So I met with them, um, showed them around San Diego for a couple of weeks. Uh, one of them was a very tall uh, fellow uh, with a French accent, and his name was Demba Ba. Mm -hmm. And uh, come to find out, he was one of the most prolific players of <laughs> his time during, during that time. And the other one was a fellow by the name of Eden Hazard. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eden obviously plays for Chelsea today. And I didn't know who either of those gentlemen were because my background has been in a different sport. And they wanted to talk to me about, because they knew San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, after they left, they asked me if I would be president of their club. Uh, they wanted to start it, and since they were foreign, uh, it, they needed an American to help them. They also had ongoing careers, which they had been playing. Uh, Demba was in China, and obviously uh, Eden with, um, with, uh, with Chelsea. Um, so that led them to me to build a plan um, from a business perspective to help get them into a professional league, and at that time it was the NESL. And we had decided to go NESL versus USL for just b different business reasons. And at the end of the day, when uh, NESL uh, had its fall from grace, if you will, uh, we ended up, or the, the team ended up saying, look, we need to st stay in this and figure out what we can do. And we were approached by Peter Wilt uh, way back uh, about looking at NISA, but sort of discarded it because we didn't think that it had credibility at the time. Having gone through another round of conversation with USL and deciding not to go in that direction, we then took a look at NISA and all of a sudden, Peter said, I'm going to retire from this. Would you take it over and make sure that it happens? So little old Bob here said, okay, I'll do it. And so for the last year or so, that's what I've been doing. And I had to relinquish myself of my relationship with 1904, San Diego. And um, so I now I'm not conflicted in any way, shape, or form. Now, so I was a part of the initial Charlotte bid for NISA here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were basically la just lacking a major investor head, everything else lined up, front office staff, down to the field, everything was done for the most part, at least uh, handshake agreements on everything until we had a major investor. When Peter left, 
that kind of uh, shook the investors that we had lined up that we were working with. We couldn't have been the only club from the initial batch that had that, that fear. How were you able to overcome that to the point now where you're launching the league again and you're popped up now with eight teams? Because uh, I'm sure Charlotte wasn't the only one scared that this league is going to fold. No, I know. You know, you got to have courage. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, when you're starting something, uh, it's, it, it takes a lot of courage to stay in there. And, uh, you know, this is not for the faint of heart, so to speak. I don't mean to be rude. Um, but you really got to be determined, and that's something you want to do. And having come out of, in the business world and in early stage companies and things like that, um, it's very easy for investors to get uh, weak need on an on a, on a issue. Um, probably the most devastating thing with Nisa at the time was not only Peter um, choosing to leave, but also his partner Jack Cummings passed away unexpectedly, which yeah. really was an impact to the group. So putting that behind us and saying, okay, we had a very good partner, uh, Club Nine Sports, mm -hmm. and um, John Pruch and his gang of thieves, if you will, my friends, um, they, were, have, they have been great partners, and they were the ones who really kind of went back through, looked at some of the clubs that had originally made an, an attempt um, to, to come in to start the league. But, you know, what I found is that organizations, whether it's sports or nonprofits or other things, um, or corporations and so forth, you need to have some leadership that really is determined to make it work. And I don't think at the time, I think there's a lot of soccer involvement, if you will, but maybe not, not enough business involvement uh, at that time. I think right we have right now is a, is a real blend of both business and soccer. And from you know just the possibilities in this city, it's just incredible to see this franchise really, uh, uh, and it's not really a franchise, it's a member of a club, which, mm -hmm. is, which is different than, than the other groups. But I think there's really an opportunity here. It's, it's a great city, a really a great city. A lot of my friends who have moved from San Diego here. Lower cost of living in San Diego. So. Uh, about the same. Part, I checked the prices. <laughs> <laughs> One of the topics I definitely wanted to discuss is the difference between uh, NISA and their business model versus how USL and maybe even the MPSL um, leagues operate. If, if you're approaching ownership groups that are interested in and they're considering those three groups, what sets you guys apart from those other leagues? Well, I think the initial, um, we're called independent soccer association, is that we're very independent in that regard. And we've also made it, uh, the, the cost of entry, much lower barrier to, uh, to achieve. And, uh, and that's no reflection on USL or MPSL or anyone else. It's just a different model. Um, what it allows you, it allows you to become a member of an organization um, there are no territorial restrictions. Um, so, you know, if you have a, a Dunkin' Donuts franchise in, in Charlotte and you, you get a mileage area around it, which keeps another one out of the way, here you don't. And if you go to the UK and look where Liverpool is, mm -hmm. across the street is Everton, right? Um, and they do very well amongst themselves, both competitively and financially. So the model we thought would be easier, would be a little bit more democratic, allowing people to get into the system a little easier. The professional standards from U.S. soccer are the same as USL. So the financial requirements and the support systems and all of the things you have to have and the fields have to be certified from a FIFA point of view um, all have to be the same, but it's just the ease of entry. And we, th we thought that rather than spending the money, uh, well, I'll give you an example. When we're in San Diego, when we were looking at USL, we determined that the amount of capital that we required to enter the league 
we could better use that in our operations and in our academies. So NISA met a requirement of ours which was different than what had been for other people. And as far as those professional league standards, um, there is the net worth for the, you know, the, the primary owner. Are there additional things that your league will be looking at? You're not going to just take anybody and everybody to join your league. So what other hurdles would an ownership group have to cross? Well, we want to make sure that we are spread across the country. Um, right now, if you look at our website, we're pretty dominated on the southeast and the, and the east coast. Um, and we have, uh, you know, two out in California, one in uh, east, east of Los Angeles um, and then one in San Diego. And we would want to populate it with some people along the coast, also populate in the central part of the country because uh, we may you know, want to continue to grow and we want to make sure that we've got the central part of the country covered as well. So what we're looking for are people who are committed to make it work, not people who just want to do it to have fun. I mean, this is a very expensive uh, proposition to do, and you need, you know, ser it's, take, it's serious money. Uh, it's not great money, but it's serious money, and you need to have the same sustainability from a financial point of view to, uh, to get up and running and moving. What we are trying to do for the league overall is really drive the whole agenda around the social experience that you would get at a soccer match that makes you want to come back and come back and come back. So driving fan appreciation, we want, that's our first and foremost objective, is to support the fan. And we want that through all of our clubs. So it's an attitude, and as we talk to the owners or the new prospective owners, we want to make sure uh, that they have the same or similar kind of view on how to drive the agenda so the American soccer fan can really have a great time. Yeah, and as far as, you know, kind of fan engagement, um, one thing that, you know, has hit national news recently is the Chattanooga FC um, allowing owners or individuals to become owner investors. Mm -hmm. Is that something NISA has considered and will be able to roll out in year one, um, that fan ownership aspect? Okay, let me just go back to your comment about how we're organized. Um, it's a organization made up of owners. And so they determine their own fate at their own grassroots level. Uh, so Chattanooga wanted to do it for their organization. That's terrific. And maybe down in another part of the country when the other team doesn't want to do that. So it all represents the individual owner. But it's a... It's a Sort of a crowdfunding um, prospect is there, and it's it's likable. We we've looked at it from a league point of view, but the league, because it operates on the behalf of the teams, doesn't make sense for the league to do it. But individual clubs may want to do that, and it's a good way to get people's you know buy-in. I mean, it's about we want them to own the teams in in an emotional and, uh, and spiritual way, but at the same time, if you can be financially involved in the team from an ownership point of view, why not? Right now, you have eight teams announced. Mm -hmm. um, in most of those markets, if not all of them, there are professional teams already. Correct. How are you? And you said the fan engagement. How, how else is NISA going to look at differentiating themselves from the MLS clubs, the USL clubs that have these set fan bases? Well, we're just going to give them more fun. <laughs> It's the fan engagement still. Fan engagement is what's going to drive it, and the and the mental you know the mental state of owning it. We want you to own us. Um, we want you to come to see what we're doing. We want to be able to do that, and I th I think people it's going to take us a year or two uh, to really get up and moving. But over that time, we hope to go from eight teams, which you currently have. Hopefully, before we start in August, we'll have maybe ten to twelve, and then uh, next year we hope to move up to sixteen. 
in the following year up to 20. Um, so we're going to grow, and, but it's all going to be driven around, uh, and the only way it will be sustainable at the local level is if the fan is engaged in what we're doing. Now, I, I know you said you want to go nationwide. Right now you have two on the West Coast, six or so on the East Coast. Yep. That's a lot of expensive travel back and forth and playing. Are you looking to break it up into an Eastern Conference, Western Conference, or is it just no. all for one, one for all? Right now it's uh, eight collectively. And one of the things we decided to do today, actually in our first board meeting, is uh, to cost share so that the costs will be divided, the travel costs will be collected, uh, the hotel accommodations so were collected, and then divided by eight rather than one group having to pay to the West Coast traveling to everybody else, it'll be divided amongst the eight. Uh, next year, as we get to a more um, geographically spread group, we'll probably disband that, um, unless the geography still stays the same with the high concentration on the east. But if we can get to the place where we're at uh, 16 to 20, then we can break it down into divisions and subdivisions of that, which will ease the travel burden. But it's, it's going to be an expensive proposition. And everyone we have... All the owners we've met with and talked with and gone through it with, they have come up with the plan on how to make this work. So you're, you're sharing the cost. Are you also trying to share revenues if, if one club is you know, bringing in 15,000, 20,000 fans and another club across the country is only bringing in a couple thousand? How are you going <laughs> to deal with that scenario? That's a political question. <laughs> and, um, you know, my reaction is as a red-blooded American, if you will, um, you know, what you generate is, should be yours. Uh, if you want to be generous and give some back, then that's, that's a different issue. In that same aspect, though, what you spend should be yours as well, right? It is. <laughs> but to ease the burden to get something started, you've got to do some sacrifice. Fair enough. So where do you, uh, in the initial, uh, Peter's initial vision of this, there was promotion relegation over a certain amount of years. Is that still in the works? Where do you stand individually on promotion and relegation? You know, it's a concept which um, people who follow EPL and, and all of the other leagues around, around the globe uh, want to see. And they'd like to see it here. Um, my reaction is you'll probably get to some place along that line with, with the different levels of the game. Uh, for us right now, we just want to make sure that we've got our 10, 12, 14, 16 up. And if we get to a place where we've got 40, club or 40 clubs in two different groups, uh, if you will, like in the UK, um, then we can talk about uh, that kind of pro rel. But that's really not on our dance card right now. I know it was a selling point of Peter's at one time, mm -hmm. but we thought you know, going through it and having spent the time to build this, um, we want to concentrate on getting it up and stabilized. And you mentioned, you know, with the application process, you had eight teams solidified. You're hoping to add a few more before league play begins this fall. Is it possible for a group to, and you guys are going to play a fall to spring schedule with a winter break, I believe. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for a group to join between the fall and spring seasons? We're actually looking at that now. Um, you know, we've been um, pleasantly surprised at the uh, reception that we've had in terms of clubs that want to come with us. And... We sort of said, okay, how do we handle, uh, you know, a growth and expansion in a, in a way that will accommodate the league as well as accommodate the, uh, the clubs coming in? So we're taking a look at that as we speak right now. Um, our application process for uh, 2019 is, will be complete by, have to be completed by, um, for the new teams other than the additional eight or the existing eight. It uh, has to be ended by April 15th. And that gives us time then to process the clubs and see if we can, you know, get them into the 29 season. 
And then on the other hand, what we're also going to be doing is looking at if it's possible, and we have two to four that we could incorporate into the league in the spring, uh, for the spring session, we may do that uh, with the blessing of uh, U.S. soccer. And, you know, from the website and that kind of thing, uh, fans are guessing. Can you confirm any of the um, the ownership groups or existing clubs that are joining? You know, you've mentioned Sa- San Diego 1904. Is that the team in San Diego? or is yes. there? Okay. What about Philadelphia, New England, those other markets? Philadelphia is the Fury. And New England is a new club. Okay, it's just uh, it's just being developed, and so we want to. We also would like to let the clubs announce in their markets who they are, rather than preempt the markets to some degree. So that's one of the reasons why we've been sort of um, dodging the bullet, if you will, on that. Is that why that when in the fall there were four markets announced, that was more of the the local ownership that says go ahead and announce us? Yes, and then four were kind of held yeah. back. We, our strategy at the time was to uh, roll out about one every couple of weeks. But because the process to get sanctioned was dragging on, uh, we would run out of markets before we got sanctioned, and we didn't want to get our, ahead of our skis, so to speak, um, and preempt the U.S. Soccer Federation. Any other existing clubs joining the Central Florida or Providence area? Or were they new it as well? Be in Providence, Rhode Island, will be a club there. Okay. And that's a new club that will be started there. We're very excited about the ownership there and very excited about their location. And uh, we think that Providence, Rhode Island is a good market. Going back to the uh, joining in the, the uh, this is not necessarily you guys, but uh, it, as a league in general, but the teams joining where there's existing franchises. Uh, it, my philosophy has always been if something is oversaturated where there's like in Charlotte we have independence MLS is likely coming to town we have the Eagles still that's that's two professional and one I guess Eagles are semi-pro if you want to call it what it is now is the PDL and it just seems like an oversaturated market wouldn't it be a wiser decision business-wise as a league to go in maybe markets where there weren't other teams as opposed to uh, just trying to get in and squeeze into another large city where there's already two teams well, I think if we were capitalized to the degree of MLS, we probably could pick and choose where we went to. Um, us starting out, we were approached by a number of the different groups in, in different areas that wanted to have a professional status. And so I look at it in a, in a kind of a different way, and that is if you were out in the middle of the desert and there was one gas station on one corner, it didn't do very much business. But you put f- three gas stations on the other three corners, and all of a sudden people start coming. Then you start building. And so I look at it as a way, how can you, um, more soccer is better than less soccer. And if you can then choose where you want to go because of the experience and the opportunity you have, why not? So let's just see where it goes. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, Charlotte is a great market and I think it will accommodate it. And, you know, MLS hasn't determined yet whether Charlotte's going to be a team. So like San Diego, we're sitting out there. So should we wait until that happens before we do it? No, you jump into the fray, get it done, have fun. What can you relay on the Charlotte franchise uh, in terms of where they're going to play? Um, I, you already mentioned the owners' names. So, do you have any idea about the location of where they're going to play? Well, I know where they're playing, but I, I would like them to announce what they're Fair doing enough. for them for their own benefit. Um, you know, you ought to get Casey Carr down here and talk to him. We've talked to him. We're trying. It's a schedule thing. Get him down. Well, his schedule just. I'll talk to him this afternoon. <laughs> you know, if you can help him bring him in the studio, that'd be of fantastic. Course. He's already agreed to do it. It's just a matter of our schedules lining he's, up. He's so. shy. 
I don't believe that for one second. <laughs> <laughs> what um, what other fundamental uh, business philosophies or just league philosophies in general has changed since Peter made his jump over to, I think he went to USL D3, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. I think it was Madison. Yeah. So what other just philosophies business-wise and soccer-wise has, uh, has changed since he left? I, I think that, you know, th- there, was a, there was a large um, sort of uh, view of we want to be different and disruptive. And my philosophy is why not be part of the group of the team of U.S. Soccer Federation rather than trying to be disruptive and try to take it down, if you will. I think that it's important that we be, that we perceive and be perceived as people who want to play within the system, but also bring a different flavor to the game in terms of how it's played, where it's played, um, the, the fan engagement side of it. Um, you know, I think soccer has been for a long time um, trying to figure out how do they engage, how do they get more people there, but they never really engage the fan. So our pyramid starts with the bottom, and that is the bottom of the pyramid is the fans. So if we can start with the bottom of the pyramid, neighborhood by neighborhood by neighborhood of engaging the fan to come to the matches and have it become their team, their players, their opportunity, uh, we hope that we'll make it more interesting. And maybe the other guys will change the way they do business a little bit too. Um, We're not elite. All right. What we are is a very basic, we like football, soccer. We enjoy the game on an international level. We want to appeal to that. We want to bring um, La Liga teams up from Mexico and play. We want to be able to do uh, international uh, exchanges and other kinds of things like that to bring people in. We want to do player exchanges. And we are in the business of uh, being able to attract other players to come uh, from around the world to play. So I think what you're going to see is a little different flavor. Um, It'll still be played on the same 70 by 110 uh, yard pitch, if you will with a round ball, and, but it's going to be a fun ball. And I think what we, again, I can't stress enough how much we really want to make sure that we do everything we can to appeal to the fans so they want to come back and come back and come back. One of the uh, details that may seem minor to some folks, but it does have a big impact, is that player contracts will be owned by, you know, the actual teams. Rather, in MLS, it's a corporate structure where the MLS actually owns the player contracts. Talk a little bit about why that's important for NISA to stand out from the crowd. Because it's, uh, it's your local business, and you have local control. It's that simple. It, so, and I believe you're not having any salary caps or anything throughout the league. No. Uh, but, I mean, you got to be realistic in well, terms of, of uh, you know, how you operate your business. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is the fact that people haven't looked at it as a, as a bit of a business, if you will, from the standpoint of being able to have the opportunity to entertain fans and do that. And, and sometimes fans think that, you know, it, it just happens. Well, it, it's really got to, to sustain itself and not to be part of the junk pile um, of, of, of teams that have folded. You've really got to look at it from a business perspective. So you can go out and buy to win the best players, but if you're out of business in 12 months, that doesn't make doesn't make the people of Charlotte very happy. So, you know, you got to be conscious of what you're doing from a business perspective. We've given guidelines, um, and we're realizing what division we are and where we're going and what we're going to be able to produce for that. And I think it's going to be, uh, you know, 
there, there were some people who really wanted to push the high end, and we sort of convinced them to bring it back to reality and, and compete to, for that. Now, right now, you're sanctioned Division Three. Mm -hmm. Is what is the ultimate goal? Is it to be the the high level sanctioned like a Division One, like MLS, or just sanctioned uh, maybe Division Two? Is realistic. Where do you see NISA going? You know, we're again talking about that today, and I think right now our focus is really to be the very best we can where we are. It's professional, and um, you know, I look at it from a different set of eyes than maybe you you folks do. And I just look at it and say, you know, right now we're professional, and if we can make it so that the professional team that we have can uh, knock off the USL team in the Open Cup, what makes us happy? We don't have to be who they are. We just have to be who we are and do it well. I feel like that's your, uh, your philosophy in business and in life on a daily basis. Just from sitting here for the last 25 minutes and talking to you, I can tell you're, you're extremely sharp, and I, I feel like Nisa's in great hands. Well, uh, going forward. Thank you very much. Yeah, Jason. Any uh, final questions you got? Uh, no, I think I think we covered quite a bit of it. Um, some of the other, you know, listener questions. It sounds like, you know, as far as like youth academies that are going to be free um, for the children versus pay, the pay-to-play model. It sounds like that will be based on the the, the, the local ownership groups. Um, and then we did have one fan. He's he's out in Asheville, so he's got a lot of interest in your opinions on MPSL, how you guys vary from them, and what your thoughts are on their upcoming Founders Cup this fall and then when they move to um, a, a longer schedule next season. Um, I think what you're talking about is the um, MPSL pro, if you will. And, um, you know, I know a lot of the people there because there are a lot of the people who came out of the NESL. And... Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're professional clubs playing in an amateur league, and so they're not true professionals. And so what we're uh, – I'm not going to beat them up. That's not my job. My job is to compete in this society where we all, uh, you know, the strong survive. So we're going to have to do the very best we possibly can. And so just to kind of wrap up here, you have an application process uh, about a month out for any new teams that are potentially joining? For this for 2019. For 2019. And then uh, we'll open up the application process up again in June uh, for 2020. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's where I was going to go and is uh, the, the next round, essentially. Um, but, yeah, no, that's all I got for you, Brad. All right. Well, then uh, that's going to wrap it up for our first episode of 2019. You can find the podcast at ESPNCharlotte.net, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, basically anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on the new format, so feel free to hit the show up on Twitter, uh, at Second Yellow Show, the number two ND Yellow Show. And let us know what you think. Bob, it was an absolute pleasure having you in the studio. Um, hope your travels are safe getting back to San Diego. Oh, and thank you. It's a nice being here. It's a great city, and we look forward to really dominating. <laughs> I, lo I love the confidence and enthusiasm. Uh, for Jason and myself, thanks for listening. Remember, remember, no matter who you support, let's all work together to grow the game.